Amen. Thank you, Tim and the team to, uh, for leading us in, in sung worship. As we've gathered together, it's wonderful to join with God's people as we uh, hear his wonderful truth sung and sing that to you and with one another and pray together and share time together. And, and then primarily, of course, we come together on, like this uh, to hear from his word, which we will do uh, from Joshua chapter 2. You might want to look that up. It's on page 216 of the Red Pew Bibles, or Red Chair Bibles, sorry, I should say. Um, or feel free to look that up on a device um, as we get there. We will be uh, spending time, uh, the vast majority of our time, looking at that passage this morning. And, and as you're turning there, as you're finding your way to Joshua chapter 2, um, I, I wonder if you've ever experienced something in life where you have been surprised by grace. Someone has shown you grace and you weren't expecting it and it's taken you by surprise. Uh, apologies if I've shared this story before, but I remember a couple of years ago I was parking, well, I had parked in Lisburn and the appointment that I was at was running over. And so I knew that I was pushing the limit, if not exceeding the limit of what I'd paid for in the meter. And so I was hot-footing it back to the car, turned the corner, and of course, parking enforcement officer standing at my car. And I thought, oh no, heart sank. I sort of sped up to get there, rehearsing my apology speech in my head. and said, I'm, I'm sorry, that, that, that's me. And, and he looked up and said, that's okay. I just thought I'd give you a few minutes to get back. Have a good day. Wow. Let's talk about being surprised by grace. And that's nothing. To, I'm, I'm not begrudging or, or demeaning parking enforcement officers. They do a vital role in our community. But it surprised me at that moment. It's not what I was expecting. Kindness is not what I expected to receive at that moment because I had done wrong. And that story pales in comparison to the kind of grace that we're going to see displayed this morning in Joshua chapter 2 when we see God's surprising grace. Uh, and that's because we're going to see this, this God, this infinite holy God, demonstrate and show grace upon someone that we would not expect him to do so with. The recipient of grace here is not someone we would expect to receive grace. And that's very much a part of the story. It's the point of the story in many ways. God's grace is surprising. And as we read this story, and as many of us this morning again are reminded of God's surprising grace to us, we should therefore be eternally thankful for God's surprising grace upon people who don't deserve it, because that's me. And because he is still offering that kind of grace today to those of us who know him, yet maybe feel like we have stumbled our way through this week of obedient following of him, he gives grace when we come and forgive in repentance. And for those who don't know him yet, he offers grace to those who come to him, laying their lives before him and turning from sin towards him as our good savior. This is the God of grace. And that's why we can sing as we've done so wonderfully, beautifully, encouragingly this morning. That's why we can sing words like, and Lord, we want to thank you for the works you've done in our lives. It's a, it is works of grace, isn't it? What a good and great God he is. And, and Joshua too shows us an example, as I said, of God's surprising grace. Um, however, Joshua too also presents a couple of questions for some of us as we read this text in 2023 with our own expectations and assumptions of how we expect things to go. And we may well encounter some of those questions as we read our way through this chapter. Uh, we'll deal with a couple of those if we have to, but um, the main thing of this, uh, the main thrust of this passage is where we'll spend most of our time thinking about, although it's important that we deal with those questions of God's word when they arise. So one thing that we will see repeated time and time again and we will enjoy is that we will see the reality that God is perfect. God is perfect. 
And he often uses imperfect people to bring about his perfect purpose. God is perfect. That is never in doubt and never questioned. Yet sometimes we're surprised by how he uses imperfect people to fulfill his perfect purpose. And that's good news for us who follow him today, who are still on our way to perfection. We are not there yet as he works in our lives as we seek to follow him. So let's read Joshua chapter 2. And then we're going to ask some some questions, and then we'll devote most of our time to the reality of God's surprising grace. We are going to read the whole chapter, and then we'll focus on on a few verses therein. So Joshua chapter 2, let's read God's word together. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go, look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab. Bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax, which she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies laid down for the night, she went up onto the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you have did to Sion and Og, the kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother and my brothers and sisters and all who belong to them and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are, going, what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us this land. So she sent them, so she let them down by a rope through the window for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, Go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return and then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, This oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house. If any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she said. Let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed. And she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. 
They said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. Let's pray together again as we hear from God's word. Father, we thank you for your word. And I pray now, Father, as we reflect on your truth in these words. Lord, would you speak to us? Would you show us more of yourself? Would you help us, Father, to to be driven to a deeper devotion of you and and a more faithful obedience to you and your word? Thank you, God. May your word achieve its purposes, we pray. And it's in your name we ask. Amen. Joshua 2, God's surprising grace, isn't it? It's a a powerful story. It's a hopeful passage in this book, even in the midst of what is essentially now starting the the prologue or the, the, the story of the destruction of Jericho, which is not a happy story in terms of how the Jericho inhabitants would think about it. Yet in the midst of it, here we have hope. Here we have grace. And we have grace to Rahab, this lady who has heard of God, who has believed in him, and who is acting for his purpose. And we'll think more of those three things in a few minutes. But I just want to look at two questions that sometimes arise from this encounter. Firstly, why is chapter 2 here? Um, If you remember back to how chapter 1 ends, it ends with the sense of readiness to go prepare to go and cross the Jordan. We might expect now to read of the people going, of the destruction of Jericho. In fact, if you skip to the start of chapter 3, Some commentators even say, if you lifted chapter 2 out, the story still works. Why is chapter 2 here? Well, actually, I think we might expect the people to rush in and take over the land as instruments of God's righteous judgments. Yes, that will come. But the first encounter we have in this book is someone from this land, the land of Jericho, the Canaanites. Someone from this land. And it is a story of faith and grace. And it is surprising. And because nothing is accidental or or incidental in God's word, we must recognize that level of surprise. That that Rahab's inclusion surprises us, and that's part of the point. Perhaps we might expect that if God was going to show grace at all, then he would choose someone in Jericho who we might think worthy of it. Someone who's at least trying to do good. Someone who's, who's a generally decent person. We would not choose, certainly in the context that we're thinking of here, The people, the other Israelites who were hearing this story and thinking of this story, they wouldn't have chose a Canaanite woman who was a prostitute. This story surprises and it should. See, maybe we could understand God showing grace to someone who might deserve it. But that's exactly the myth that God is trying to debunk, I think, in this story. She's exactly the type of person that many assume is outside the reach of faith. So here's the glorious reminder, thankfully, the glorious reminder that God doesn't operate in the way that we would expect. He's able to save anyone who repents, anyone who turns to him. And many of us know the joyous reality of that in our lives, don't we? I mean, how gracious and good of God that he would save me. And doesn't this also give us hope, lasting and enduring hope, For those of us who pray for our loved ones who don't know the Lord yet, there is no one whom God's grace cannot reach if they turn to him. No one is outside of God's ability to save. And so keep praying. Keep sharing God's word. Keep witnessing faithfully. You you may feel like there's a big chasm for someone to jump to make that move. 
Well, Rahab's story shows us that no chasm is too wide to swallow up God's grace. It reaches because he is surprisingly gracious. So why is chapter 2 here? Well, I think part of the reason chapter 2 is here is that it's to show us the immensity of God's grace. That even in the midst of this story of righteous judgment, there is grace for the believer. That's the first question that some people may ask as they encounter this. The second question is then this. Is it okay that Rahab lies? I wonder, did you notice that as we went through? Is it okay? What are we to do with this? Many of us read this account and wonder, well, well, does this mean then that, that lying for a worthy cause is okay? Well, firstly, we need to note that nowhere in this passage, indeed nowhere in Scripture, is Rahab commended for her lying. God doesn't tell her to do this. God doesn't congratulate her for it. She is commended, as we'll see in a few moments, she is commended for her faith. She is commended for her bold actions of faith. She's commended for her belief. But but that's not the same as saying that it was right to lie. To do so would be contrary to what we read throughout the rest of Scripture, wouldn't it? And so that's the first thing to note, that she's not told to lie and she's not not told well done for lying. Secondly, and although, although this section of the account of thinking about Rahab's words here does get an understandable level of interest, Rahab's lies are not the primary message of this passage. I don't want to get too bogged down in this, but it is important that we think about how this whole chapter is structured. Because in biblical writing, as I said, nothing is accidental, nothing is coincidental. And often in the structure of how a passage is put together, we see the author's intent, indeed God's intent, to point us to the meaning of that passage. And Joshua 2 is a little bit like a sandwich, where you've got bread and lettuce, yes, and you've got bread and lettuce at the other end. And right in the middle, between verses 8 and 13, maybe even stretching to 14, you've got the meat of that sandwich, the main point. And what do we find there? Rahab's truth is what we find there. It's what Rahab declares that she knows. It's what she knows about God, how she believes in Yahweh and what she is going to do on the basis of that. That's the main point of this passage. So so is it okay that Rahab lies? Well, we're not told. It's It's not a question for us then to morally judge her or comment on that because the focus is on her truth. And isn't it a reminder to us that the perfect God uses often imperfect people to fulfill his perfect purpose. It doesn't mean he condones the sin, but like we saw in Joshua's story, and Joseph's story, that other people may intend to harm, but God intends and is able to work things for good. So those are two possible questions that may be raised as we read chapter 2. Of Joshua, And as we seek to read these verses and hear what God has to say to us through these verses, I hope by, by, by way of a rather lengthy intro, that's, that's helpful to, to fo- help us focus on what God may want, be wanting to, to speak to us about here. Um, it is important, as I said, that we don't get scared of these questions when we read God's word and, we're, and something sparks in us. But equally, it is important that we don't get bogged down in distraction away from what God is trying to teach us with his word. So getting back to Joshua 2. Uh, If we're to take Rahab's declaration of truth in the middle of that passage as the central theme, then what can we learn here? Uh, And there's much more that we could explore in Joshua 2. I know that. But here's what I think um, God would have us focus this morning. This whole story speaks to us of God's surprising grace, yes. And it's grace to Rahab. Rahab, who is the one who hears of God, 
Rahab, who is the one who believes in God, and Rahab, who is the one who then acts for God. She hears of God, she believes in God, and she acts for God. And that's going to be the, the flow of how we spend the rest of our time this morning. Firstly, she hears of God. It's not clear from what she says to the spy in verses 8 to, 12, 8 to 11. Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know. And interestingly, she tells the Jericho police or officers or whoever came from the king, she, she only uses that, firm, uh, that term negatively. She said, I don't know where they were, where they came from. I don't know where they've gone now. She declares, I know. I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. There's lots in here that Rahab declares that she knows. But did you notice that repetition of the things that she has heard? What she has heard of God. She has heard of the crossing of the Red Sea. Which was quite some time ago. It's recorded for us in Exodus 14. But news of that has spread. She has heard of the destruction of the Amorite kings. And we see that in Numbers 21 and in Deuteronomy 2 and 3. Completely destroyed as the Lord intended. This news of God's work, Yahweh's work has spread. And the people in Jericho have heard. And what they have heard about God's powerful provision for his people has caused fear. Their hearts have melted. Their courage has dissipated. Rahab knew that there was something special about this God and his people. She knew, as we see in verse 9, God, Yahweh, had given this land to his people. And so because of what she knows and what she has heard, she knows that fighting against that is, is pointless. It is fruitless. Because God, the Israelite God, Yahweh, is God in heaven above and on earth below. And so Rahab knows where she is going to hang her allegiance. And it's on Yahweh. And we see the conclusion that she reaches as we've read in verse 11. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on the earth below. Everything that she has heard about Yahweh has led her to know that God is God in heaven above and on earth below. There's no doubting that based on everything she's heard. And that hearing then, hearing of God then leads to something for Rahab. So because of what she hears, she then believes in God. We know that from what she's just declared in verse 11. I know then, the Lord, your, the Lord, your God is God, is the God, the only God. And so she believes and she goes on in verse 12 to 13 to show then what this belief looks like. Now then, verse 12 and 13. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. See, Rahab knows, she, and she asks the spies now to swear by the Lord. This oath is based on the foundation of what she knows to be rock-solidly true, and that is Yahweh. Because of everything that she has heard of him, she believes him to be the source of all truth. So she asks them to swear by the Lord. But not only that, she's pleading with the spies that she would be saved. 
Dale Ralph Davis really helpfully states, amazingly, Rahab not only trembles before the terror of the Lord, but also senses that there might be mercy in this fearful God. Rahab's belief that it is God who will rightly bring his judgment against her and her people may also be the God who can offer salvation in the midst of wrath. And I think it's there that we see a picture of the gospel in this story. If I could put it this way, the only safe place of refuge from God's righteous judgment of sin is in God himself. The only safe place of refuge from God's righteous and just judgment of sin is in God himself. That's what the gospel shows. See, we have the benefit now of being able to fast forward through the Bible and see this perfectly and clearly and completely demonstrated for us in Jesus, don't we? That God sent Jesus, his one and only son, into the world to take the penalty of sin upon himself that is due for you and for me. That penalty, that righteous, right, correct, just judgment of sin from a holy God. And yet Jesus is the sacrifice fully satisfying the wrath of God in my place. And yet he rose from the dead in order to show his victory over sin and death. Meaning that for all who believe in him, their sins are wiped away and rather they are clothed with his righteousness. We often quote this verse from 2 Corinthians 5.21 and it summarizes this perfectly for us, doesn't it? That God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's the wonderful message of, of sacrifice and salvation, isn't it? But note that salvation is only for those who are in him. In him is the only place of refuge. In him Belief in him, trust in him, in Christ. It is under the shelter of his wings and in the righteousness that only he can provide that we are welcomed in to the presence of the holy God who rightly and justly judges sin. And this whole scene with Ahab shows us something, Rahab, sorry, shows us something of that, doesn't it? It's why the scarlet cord in verses 18 and 21 is so important. It's a sign to show the Israelite army which house is immune from destruction. We see that destruction coming in chapter 6 as Jericho is destroyed, but Rahab and all who are in her house are saved. She's protected from, she's saved from the wrath of God by finding shelter in him, by believing in him. Swear to me by the Lord. I know that the Lord your God is God above and on earth below. Rahab heard of God, she believed in God, and as we've already read then, she then acts for God. Rahab's knowledge of, of what she'd heard, what she believed, was now worked out in her actions. And it's, it's interesting that Rahab's story is celebrated beyond the book of Joshua. She's mentioned in Hebrews and again in James. And in Hebrews 11, she's mentioned in that wonderful hall of fame of faith, uh, chapter in Hebrews 11. And there she's mentioned alongside the likes of Moses, Joseph, uh, Jacob, Isaac, Abraham. And she's known and she's celebrated because of what she did on the basis of what she believed. Hebrews 11:31 says, by faith, the prostitute Rahab 
because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. See, Rahab's faith led to action, and therefore her life was saved. In James 2, again, as James is discussing uh, and explaining why faith needs to be made visible in action, he then uses Rahab as an example because of what she did. In James 2, 25, in the same way was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction. Can you see her faith led was made visible in her actions? Her actions alone didn't save her. But her actions fueled by her faith, it's her faith that saved her, which was then made, made evident in her actions. And Rahab, therefore, is a wonderful example of someone who hears the truth about God, responds by putting their faith and trust completely in God, and therefore living in the light of all he says and all he does. David Jackman actually has, has put it this way, the life of faith is always to be expressed in the activities of obedience. Or to more concretely rely on God's word earlier in James 2, he had said in James 2.17, in this profoundly simple yet very challenging verse. In James 2.17, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. And so the challenge for those of us who believe, the challenge for those of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ is, does our life demonstrate what we believe? Is our faith lived out? Is our belief active? Do our lives reflect the enormity and the reality of what we believe? That without Christ, we have nothing. But in him, we have the righteousness of God. And so let's be doers of what we believe. Let's allow the spirit of God to so shape and mold us that his fruit, the spirit's fruit, is at work and evident in our lives. See, Rahab had that level of, of belief in Yahweh, it seems. She committed her whole life. Indeed, it was a risky maneuver, wasn't it? But she committed her whole life to seeking to follow his purpose. And the result was, therefore, a welcome into the family of God, into the people of God. As Jericho was destroyed, chapter 6 ends in, in, in uh, Joshua 6, Verse 25, but Joshua spared Rahab the prostitute with her family and all who belonged to her because she hid the men Joshua had sent the spies to Jericho. And she lives among the Israelites to this day. See, this is an example of someone from outside the nation of Israel being touched by the grace of God. And Rahab is the first of millions of Gentiles swept into the kingdom of God purely because of his grace. His grace, who, which we see in Christ Jesus. And, and Rahab is not some sort of second-rate member of the people of God. See, Hebrews and James are not the only two places her, names appear, her name appears in the New Testament. On the very first page of the New Testament, in Matthew chapter 1, we find her name listed where? In the genealogy of Jesus. The, this Canaanite woman is grafted into the people of God and by his grace, she finds herself in the lineage of the Messiah. And so in Matthew 1, verse 5, we simply read Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. It's an incredible statement. As a result of God's grace, Rahab, the prostitute from Jericho, is grafted into the story of the Messiah. 
And, and, and this gives us hope, doesn't it? That God's transformative, life-changing grace is surprising. It goes way beyond the limitations or expectations that we have of it. And that is good news. So no one, there is no one who is too far to be reached by it. And those of us here who know Christ as our Savior, we know that joy all too well. And therefore, let's be quick to share this wonderful good news, this wonderful gospel. That Christ has saved us. And that we are those who have heard of God. We believe in God and we want to act for him. And let's live our lives in such a way of using our our words and our actions to demonstrate this wonderful gospel so that others will hear of the great work of God. They will believe in him alone and they will therefore act in such a way that honors him. This is the glorious message of salvation. And grace is surprising. And so even there may be some of you sitting thinking, I wish there was someone I could invite tomorrow night to Hope Explored. (laughs) There will be someone you could invite. And and my invitation to you is make the ask. We have a great God whose gospel of grace can reach. We should not limit who we think will respond to the gospel. Our role is to share the gospel. It is God who saves. God in his grace and in his infinite mercy and in his choosing of his people, he saves. And that grace is surprising and it is good news. And so let's celebrate that grace this week. Let's remember that God is the God who acts. God is the God who gives forgiveness. God is the God who has gifted us with salvation through Jesus Christ. And so let's continue to turn to him, give him more fully our lives if we've sought to take back control in certain areas. Let's surrender ourselves before this God who bestows and lavishes grace upon his people. Because we have heard of what he has done. We believe, and that belief leads to action, leads to a complete removal of all of our old ways of thinking and doing, a repenting of where we have come from and a turning to him in faith and complete trust that in Christ alone we find salvation. This is the surprising good news of Jesus Christ. And may we see him move among us and through us as we seek to live for him. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your grace. Lord, we recognize that without your grace, we cannot stand. But in your grace, clothed by the righteousness of Christ, on the basis of complete trust and faith in him, we can know life with you. We can be welcomed into that throne room of grace. We can therefore confidently come in, as we read in Hebrews. Thank you, Father. Thank you for this story in Joshua 2. Thank you that you have placed it in your word so that we will see again your grace. We will marvel at the reality that we and our limitations on where we think and expect you to work are shot out of the water when you decide to move. And so we thank you for the story of Rahab. We thank you for what she heard of you, how she believed in you, how she then acted for you. And now, Father, because of her example, we can also see what it means to hear of your wonderful message of salvation, believe in it, and have a life transformed by your spirit as a result of it. We pray, Father, as we always do, that we would live lives that glorify you, that honor you, and that your name would be lifted high. 
It's in your wonderful name we pray. Amen.